be seated. If you are unfamiliar, I encourage you to take this hymn and sing it this week until it gets ingrained into you and you don't forget it, especially for those of you with children. Bunyan had a way with words of that, there is no doubt. But in days of great discouragement, days that are challenging for the church, we need to be singing words like, Whoso beset him round with dismal stories do but themselves confound. His strength the more is. No lion can him fright, so on and so forth. We need encouragement. We need to fight. We need to be in the battle. And Bunyan certainly, especially given the challenges that he faced, fought a good fight. Second Kings chapter 22 is where we are this evening. Second Kings chapter 22. Every time I hear language like, there's no hope today. God can't work. There will never be another outpouring of the Spirit or anything akin to that. <laughs> I'm like that lady I once was ministering in an old people's home, senior's home, a nursing home, and there was a number of us from the church there. And we would go, I think, monthly or so, and nearly always there was a, a senior lady there. And as soon as it came to the preaching, she would put her hands over her ears and she had no interest in listening at all. It was quite distracting the first time that I saw that, just the very deliberate, and I think, she, I think if I remember, she was muttering something at the same time. But I guess there are times for such action, such as when people say, God can't or can God, and we put our hands over our ears and we will not listen to such discouraging words. So, as I made mention, this morning, I want to bring a word that I trust will be of encouragement, especially to our younger people, to the children, to the younger people that are here, right up to whatever age you apply, youth, and may God encourage us tonight. I'm going to read just the opening two verses. We'll be looking at many verses here, so keep your Bibles open, follow along in the Word when we turn to various portions, and we hear in Second Kings chapter 22, read from verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adiah of Bosketh. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Amen. Again, keeping your Bibles open, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Let's look for His help tonight. God, we pray for grace to resist discouragement. We pray for resilience in a day when things are challenging. We ask, Lord, that Thou wilt give us stickability in the work of God, both as we labor at home as we labor in ministry, 
as we labor in our present generation and when all the voices of discouragement arise, we pray that we will keep in heart the promises of God. And so, while Christ tarries, we believe He's still seated at the right hand of the Father, and He gives gifts, and He pours out His Spirit, and He blesses His church, and souls are saved, and not one for whom He shed His blood will be lost. And we therefore, with great anticipation, look for seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Encourage our young people. Encourage our children. And make them also resilient to discouragement. Make them men and women of warfare. Teach their fingers to fight the battles of the Lord. And even tonight, give them ears to hear, O God. Work in their hearts. Cause there to be the beginnings of something memorable in their lives, whether it be salvation or the fact that they throw their lives into the arms of their God and commit their way to Him. So God, hear us. Forgive our sins. Give us the power of Thy Spirit. And give us a real sense of Thee tabernacling with us in this place. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. One of my jobs at the camp is to, each morning, address the camp staff with encouragement from the Word of God. And as I did so last week, I began from the very outset of the week to encourage the staff to have elevated prayers for the young people, to pray for things that go beyond merely the conversion of the youth, but pray that God would get a hold of them and that they would really go on with the Lord. Most mornings I reference something from history in which we are told by various accounts and different times of God working among the young and God using individuals to encourage the young and how certain actions and certain decisions and certain responses began to snowball and result in great blessing in certain vicinities. Examples of ordinary people influencing young people, or young people themselves starting things like prayer meetings and encouraging others to seek the Lord more fervently. During the week, I received an email that I took as confirmation that I was in the way the Lord would have me go. Now, I don't often set, share correspondence with you mostly because, well, it's not of great interest to you, perhaps. Um, usually, even when there are words of encouragement, those words of encouragement are kind of uh, proceeding, just thank you for your ministry, and then asking me some kind of question or to help them with some doctrinal thing or whatever it might be. But I want to share this. I, I felt the need to share this email. It was written, as I say, it came in last Tuesday, I think it was, written by a young woman at college, as far as I can tell, and it illustrates perfectly why I maintain higher expectations for the youth today, why I will not fall into some kind of thinking that imagines if we can just get them to make some profession of faith, we'll be content with that. Obviously, we want our children to be saved, obviously. But God can and does so much more. There are things that 
he can do that will cause us to be like them that dream. Listen to this young woman. Young people, listen to her heart. Ask yourself if you understand where she's coming from or if you have any kind of burden as she reflects here. I just wanted to encourage you to keep preaching the message that you are. I've been greatly encouraged and convicted under your recent preaching about the importance of prayer meetings and of seeking God for communion with Himself and the importance of these two things. My generation really needs to hear sermons on this desperately. You preached a sermon a while ago on Joshua 1 about a call of courage to the young. And you said that if the sermon even impacted one person, that that would be good. And it has. Keep preaching. Keep striving. Keep praying. Please don't ever get discouraged. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. In an answer to prayer that I would never have even prayed without hearing the urgent need for prayer in church, I have been able to start a weekly prayer meeting with just a few people in my local, she mentions the church. And I see that as a direct result of hearing God's voice through your preaching. I, a nobody, a young woman with no influence and no ability, has been made able and willing to start a prayer group at a church of over a thousand people that I have not even officially joined. That is how able God is to use the word preached. You don't realize who God is able to affect through you around the world and inspire young people to really get before God and really seek Him and really start praying and pleading. So please, please keep going and keep preaching that. A church which does not have a prayer meeting now has a prayer meeting because a young person resolved before God to start a prayer meeting and prayed to that end. And I sit back and wonder what will become of it? What will become of it? Who will she influence? What other young people are gathering around with her? What are they praying for? What answers will God grant to them? What move of the Spirit might that location and joy? What power might be unleashed? What souls might be saved? What missionaries might be raised up? What ministers might hear the call of God? From a young college-age woman who felt the call to pray. What a Barnabas she is as well. <laughs> I've met a lot of young people and the only time they ever talk about their minister is when they're criticizing him. Well, it's no wonder such people end up spiritually shipwrecked. And I know that not every young person will be like this, be like this young woman. Can't help being somewhat realistic. But I think to myself, if they exist elsewhere, then I want to do everything I can to make sure they exist here also. Why not? I believe we do have good young people. And among our children and our teens, those in their 20s, I think that God has given to us young people 
with whom the devil is frustrated because they will not be discouraged, they will not be cast aside, they are continuing to serve, and while they are far from perfect, just like the rest of us, they want to do what they can for God. So, I look at you young people, you that are regularly on my heart, and I want to encourage you, I do. It's not me, this is the Lord. It's the Lord, the same Lord, who said to ordinary men to cast aside their nets, to follow Him. The same Lord who called others to give up their occupations and go after Him. The same Lord that loves to see young people give themselves wholeheartedly to matters that relate to the kingdom. And so I turn your attention tonight to Josiah. Josiah. And I've entitled the message simply, Josiah, a young reformer. A young reformer. Yes, you don't have to be old to do great things for God. You can be young, and we're going to see that tonight. So let's pay attention to the Word. And note, first of all, details around his coronation. The details around his coronation. And there are some matters around the coronation of this young man that is very, very interesting indeed. Fascinating, in fact. First of all, we note that his reign was prophesied. His reign was prophesied. Go to 1 Kings chapter 13. And as you go back in your Bible, you're going back about three centuries or so to 1 Kings chapter 13. And to a period just after Solomon, and you have the erecting of wicked, ungodly, unbiblical worship. And Jeroboam is at the heart of it. And we are told in 1 Kings chapter 13, verse 1, Behold, there came a man of God out of Judah by the word of the Lord unto Bethel. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. So there's no business in this. This has all been set up. This is false worship. This is rebellion against God. God has no time of it, time for it. And there's a man of God raised up by God to go and cry against it. Verse 2, And he cried against the altar in the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus saith the Lord, Behold, a child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. And upon thee shall he offer the priests of the high places that burn incense upon thee, and man's bones shall be burnt upon thee. Now, this is a fascinating chapter. You can go on to read about the events that surround this man of God and the sad details that are given. But he comes here as a man with a message. And he proclaims this message in relation to the false worship that had been erected. And he says, A child shall be born unto the house of David, Josiah by name. It's absolutely amazing. This is three centuries prior to Josiah's birth and reign. The only other example of this we have is in relation to Cyrus, the king of Persia, who is also prophesied, who will come and, of course, be the one who would liberate the people of God, and let them go back and return to their land. So this is the first thing we note about this young man, Josiah. His reign was prophesied, and of course you can tie into that the uniqueness of it, 
how it relates to the Messiah, our Lord Jesus, of course, being prophesied in His coming, and things of that nature. But secondly, His reign also was unusual. His reign was not only prophesied, but it was unusual. It is generally a sign of divine judgment to have children or the immature reign over you, to have children in places of authority, to have children in positions where they make decisions and have influence over others. It's not just an unusual thing, but it is often a sign of judgment, as I've said. Turn to Isaiah chapter 3, just so you see this, because previous to Josiah even coming on the scene, such is the mess of the land, the mess of the nation, as God, through His prophet, tells them what's going to take place, you can see part of the judgment that is to come. So Isaiah 3, reading from verse 1, Isaiah 3 verse 1, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, doth take away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stay and the staff, the whole stay of bread and the whole stay of water, that which supports them in life. God is removing it. But not only that, the mighty man, the man of war, the judge and the prophet and the prudent and the ancient, the captain of fifty and the honorable man and the counselor and the cunning artificer and the eloquent orator. So all these are being taken away. Verse 4, And I will give children to be their princes, and babes shall rule over them, and the people shall be oppressed, every one by another, and every one by his neighbor. And the child shall behave himself proudly against the ancient, and the base against the honorable. So this is not a pretty scene. These are scenes of great judgment. God removing the mighty men, the able men, the wise men, the equipped men, the men who know what to do in any time of trouble, and replacing them with the ignorant, with the simple, with the inexperienced. And what is strange is that with Josiah's arrival, there is a sense, uh-oh, uh-oh, in the province of God, he has permitted an eight-year-old to take the throne. That does not bode well. That's discouraging to the heart. But Josiah becomes, in the mercy of God, an anomaly. He shows the power of divine grace to take even the young and do mighty works, to reverse the judgment. Josiah, in that sense, becomes a symbol of God's power to reverse what ought to be a means of judgment to the land. He can turn it around. And so it can be in our day. In our day, when we have the feeling of looking to the older, to the powerful, to the mighty, to the wealthy, to those in high places, and whatever the case might be, we look to them for deliverance. God's able to take the most insignificant, the young, the inexperienced, and use them. His reign was prophesied. His reign was unusual. Also, going back to 2 Kings 22, his reign was exemplified. It was exemplified. And what I mean by that is that Josiah had an example of how to reign. Now, what he was dealing with in his day was, was not the same as what others had to deal with particularly when you think of the primary role model he had. Look at what it tells us in verse 2 of what we read. 
And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father and turned not aside to the right hand or to the left. Now, did Josiah deal with the same problems David dealt with? No. No, it's a completely different scene. Centuries later, he has, he has, what, what he is faced with is completely different. And sometimes we imagine that the work that needs to be done or what needs, to be required, what, what needs to be done in our day, we, we kind of look at history and we say, there's the kind of man that is needed because he dealt with similar things as what we're dealing with today. We think that it is the ability to deal with particular problems that is what is necessary. Like, that's the criteria to look for. But no one had ever dealt with what Josiah was dealing with. And so his, his role model, his influence doesn't come by mimicking the actions of those that have gone before, though there were those that had sought to do similar things and similar acts of reform prior to him. But the key point is this, men and women and young people, the key point is this, that in David, in David there was the key. David was a man after God's own heart. It is the heart that matters. It is not whether or not we know how to deal with peculiar troubles and trials of our day and trying to mimic what has been done before. What is necessary is this, to have a heart for God. Now this is what was exemplified in David and I have no doubt Josiah made a study of David's life. He saw that this is the key to helping the land. This is what's necessary. He looks to an ancestor 400 years previous to his life And he says, that's the man I need to follow. You look back 400 years, you will find that it's not like they they had a, a monopoly of men of God or women of God, but certainly there's place for looking back and learning from those who've gone before. And so we, we sang, we sang that him by John Bunyan, because John Bunyan is in himself not just an example in, by means of the literature that he has given to us and the blessing that Pilgrim's Progress has been to millions and millions of people, but his actual life, that the, the power in singing those words is because it comes from someone who knows what it's like to suffer. Twelve years of imprisonment because he did not have a license to preach. Unless you have a license, you have no right to handle the Word of God. And he continued to preach. And so they put him in prison. What you're facing today is not the same as John Bunyan. What we're all dealing with today is different than what was going on then. But but it's the heart of men like that that we need to model. And I say to a young person, look, look, look for those who have a heart for God Go into the past. Look at the individuals. Look at the lives of those who ran with the Lord, who served the Lord with all their being. Make them your example. Yes, sometimes we have to go back to the old ways. Jeremiah spoke of this, prophet in Jeremiah 6.16, Thus saith the Lord, stand ye in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. 
Ask for the old paths, the good old paths. Josiah could see, no doubt as he grew in age, he saw what he was dealing with. He discerned the problems. It was an utterly impossible case. Reforming the land seemed beyond possibility. But he walked in all the way of David his father. If I follow the man after God's own heart, who knows what God might do? This is akin to any one of us saying, looking at David's greater son and saying, I will walk in all the ways of Jesus Christ. Who knows? Who knows what God might do with that? There's so much half-heartedness today, we hardly know what it is to be sold out for Christ. That's a sad remark on what we're faced with today, but, but, God is able. So, these are some of the details around his coronation. Secondly, the reason for his concern the reason for us concern. When you begin to read through his life, you will see that he becomes a man who's greatly concerned with what he's dealing with, the, the nation, the condition of the nation, and so on. And we'll get to some of those details in just a moment, but we ask the question, well, why was he concerned? Why? Why was Josiah so concerned, and those before him, at least some of them, were not concerned? In fact, they added to, they contributed to the problem. What was different? Turn to Second Chronicles chapter 34. Keep a finger in Second Kings 22 as well. In Second Chronicles 34, we have the other account given to us about Josiah's life. And it tells us something about him, something that happened when he was 16 years of age. Second Chronicles 34. Let's read from verse 1. Second Chronicles 34. Verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, so verse 1 and 2 is a synopsis of his life, and here's why, here's why he walked in the ways of David his father. Here's why he made a difference. Here's why things began to unfold as they did through his reign. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, note it, 16, he is yet young. What age are you? Children, what age are you? How far away are you from 16 years of age? Are you beyond it? Are you approaching it? How are you living your life? 
Look at this. You, you need to take the heart. When the Bible speaks to you in your condition, in your, where you are in life, it's like when you get older, you begin to see the passages that address old age. They become illuminated to you. You maybe never paid much attention to them when you're young and healthy and so on, but then you begin to notice these passages that deal with you in your condition as an older person. Well, you need to do the same when you're young. When you're young, you need to pay attention to the Scriptures that are speaking directly to you, that are giving you some insight into how those around your age lived. In the eighth year of his reign, 16 years of age, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. So here's what I suggest to you is his conversion. He is converted. And it is illustrated in this way, it is described rather in this way, that he began to seek after the God of his father David. He began to seek him. Oh, had he been catechized? Yes. Instructed? No doubt. Were there some elements of truth that he had been taught? I have no doubt whatsoever. But, but, but there needed to be this conversion experience, this, this true experience of the new birth, of real life, of knowing that you belong to Christ. Now, children, do you know that? Do you? Children, do you know what it is to say, at a certain point, I began to seek the God of my fathers? Seek Him. Not just talk about Him. Not just attend a place of worship. Not just know about Him, but to seek Him. I love that. I love that. I love illustrating the Christian life as seeking. Yes, as seeking. Because it is no Christian life at all if it cannot be fundamentally described as a seeking. Seeking God. Seeking God. You have it right there at the end of Genesis 4 when men began to call upon the name of the Lord. They began to seek. So boys and girls, have you sought? Have you sought? Have you really sought the Lord? Have you sought Him in salvation? Have you sought Him for His will? Have you sought Him for help to become more like Jesus Christ? Have you sought Him? Do you seek Him? Do you read His Word because you want to know more about Him? Do you pray in the simple way in which you have learned? Do you seek Him? Of course, his conversion leads to some changes, some initial reform. We are told about in verses 4 through 7 of where we read. In fact, we'll just read from verse 3. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places. So here he is. He is now four years after he's converted. He's been a believer for four years. How long have you been a believer? Along. So he's been a believer four years. He began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves, getting rid of all the false worship, the things. Let me put it in simple terms, boys and girls. He's getting rid of the things God didn't prescribe, God didn't put in place. They're, they're forms of worship that are against God, that are wrong, that are unbiblical. 
the carved images, the molten images. And they break down the altars of Balaam. Let's read it. Look at it. Verse 4. And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. And the images that were on high above them, he cut down. And the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces and made dust of them and strode it upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. And he burnt the bones of the priests upon their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. There is the fulfillment of the prophecy. And so did he in the cities of Manasseh and Ephraim and Simeon, even unto Naphtali, with their mattocks round about. When he had broken down the altars and the groves and had beaten the graven images into powder and cut down all the idols throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. So here's this believer converted with a regenerate heart. He begins to see problems. He sees issues. But he's in power. He's in control. So he can do something about it. So he does. Now, most of us, when we're children, we're not in this position. So let me say to you boys and girls and young people, if you are converted and you begin to see there are problems, just be careful that you don't start breaking things and burning things and killing people whenever you have no place or authority to do so. But God had put him in this place. So he is filled with a zeal as God is working as he seeks every day, as he seeks God. He is becoming more enlightened into the problems of his land and he's so desperate to eradicate those things that he knows are, are false. So he goes on a mission, a campaign to reform the land. It's tremendous, tremendous to see a 20-year-old do this, isn't it? 20 years of age on a campaign to change the worship of the nation. Leonard Ravenhill once said, maturity comes from obedience, not necessarily from age. Ah, yes. The young heart that wants to obey may be far wiser than the old head that's filled with his own ways. He was converted. Secondly, he learned to love God's house. He learned to love God's house. Let's look at verse 8. We're still in 2 Chronicles 34. Now in the 18th year of his reign, so you do the math, he's 26 now, 16, six years later. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land, let me just stop there and note, things don't happen overnight. I mean, seldom do things happen overnight. Even the best, the best of works. And when you recognize that you're in a day where you feel this, this pressing sense of, we need to begin again. And that's where Josiah was. We need to begin again. It's never going to change overnight. That's the problem with some people. They don't have the patience to plot. They don't have holy resolve. They don't have stickability. They want the blessing of God to be like fast food. You go into one prayer meeting, you order what you want from God, and if it doesn't come tomorrow, then you're done with it. Well, nothing ever happened with such an attitude. So six years go on, the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, 
the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. So he sees the need. There's, there's this need to repair the house of God. It's just something he observes, a concern that he has. And so there's, there's a love in his heart for, for God's place of worship. Where, where he gathers his people together. He, he feels it. Now, others don't feel it. They don't care about it. And many people today are the same. They, they have no concern for the place where God's people assemble to worship. But Josiah did. Children, learn to love God's house. Learn to love it. I think many of our young people do love the house of God. It's important. I must move on. He was instructed by the Word. He was instructed by the Word. Now, I could read here in Second Chronicles 34. It gives a longer account of what happens. You can see it in verse 14 there, where Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. I'll turn back, however, to 2 Kings 22. I'm going to read the account that is given here. 2 Kings 22, verse 8. And Hilkiah the high priest said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So they've gone to repair. And in the midst of this endeavor... They find the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king, brought the king word again, and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of them to do the work, that do the work, and have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Ahakam the son of Shaphan, and Akbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Asahiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book to do according unto all that which is written concerning us. So he gets instructed by the word. God's word is found. It is read in his hearing. And this is amazing. His, His sensitivity is such that he is alarmed at what he is reading. And he realizes that all the reform he has done hasn't gone far enough. And there has been the, this, this rebellion, this turning away from God, completely casting aside the Word of God. And the worship had become so polluted in various ways. And just with the plain reading of Scripture, Josiah's heart is broken. There are very few people who respond to the Word of God in this way. And yet God wants us to 
tremble at the very reading of his word. Turn to Isaiah 66. Isaiah chapter 66. And you, boys and girls, you need to know verses like this. Because you're so familiar with the word of God. And there's a danger that you become numb to it. And you need to pray that God will stop you from being numb or cold and indifferent to God's word. We'll read from verse 1, Isaiah 66, verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. So it's not just to the, the building, it's not that so much I'm concerned about, but it's to a particular man, a particular woman, a particular young person, a particular boy, a particular girl, maybe even here tonight, that I will look even to him or her that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. That is when you hear what God's Word has to say and you're aware of a contradiction either in your own life or in the community around you, you can't just cast it aside as if it is nothing. You feel it. You feel the weight of that which is being done that is contrary to the revealed will of God. It bothers you. And these are the kind of people that God works with and uses. He, he doesn't use people who, who, who play games with His Word. They're always those that are resolved to live by the Word, to preach the Word, to be concerned about what the Word says and what God has revealed in it. And that's their motivating influence. That is their desire. And such people who come to the point that they tremble, like they have a literal fear in their hearts about their, their own deviation from the Word and the deviation of their families and the deviation of their churches. They, they feel it. They tremble. They can't look. They cannot look at various forms of false worship and disregard of the Word and just say, well, we're living in a different generation. Things have changed. With the passing of time, we, 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 have, to, we have to get with the times. And they're, they're not... They're not like that. They, they, they recognize that God is the same yesterday and today and forever. They know His Word is forever settled in heaven. They believe, therefore, in what we talk about in terms of worship. We believe that what God has revealed in His Word is sufficient to tell us how to worship. And we don't add to it. We don't say to ourselves, we're going to do it this way or that way or according to our own liking. We are resolved to do everything by the book. And when it is not... We tremble. Now, now, this is Scripture. And so Josiah was just like this. He, he trembled at the Word. He's, it's not even being preached. <laughs> it's not even being preached. It's just being read. The Bible's being read. Just read. The way it's read in your home. The way it's read, and sometimes if you were to be asked a question after the chapter was read, a simple question, you can't answer it because you're not listening. Josiah's listening to every word. 
So what does God say about Josiah? Well, look at verse 19 of 2 Kings 22. 2 Kings 22, verse 19. Because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord, when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. Josiah is living close to the time of captivity. Part of what he heard concerned the judgment that God had promised would come because of their rebellion. And instead of saying, well, God has said it, there's nothing we can do about it, he trembles at it and he begins to do everything he can to preserve the land, to do what God would have them do, And God shows him a little mercy. You'll not see it, Josiah. Ah, it's very easy to call yourself a Christian, isn't it? And some of you may have been keeping track of what's going on in Nigeria. Line them up and execute them for their faithfulness to Christ. Why? Why give your life for Christ? They have hearts like Josiah. brings me thirdly and finally then to consider the evidence of his commitment, the evidence of his commitment. Josiah, unlike most of us, was in a position where he could influence the entire nation for good. Now, boys and girls and young people, you may not ever be in such a position as he was, but you can still influence people. You can. You might not influence the nation, but if you can influence anyone, for good. Why not? And you read in chapter 23, look at 2 Kings 23. Verse 1, the king sent and they gathered unto him all the elders of Judah and of Jerusalem. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem with him and the priests and the prophets and all the people, both small and great, Get everyone around. Gather everyone. Get the children here. Get the great men, the priests, the prophets, everyone. Get them all here. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. You need to hear it too. You need to hear the law of God. You need to hear the collection of laws and promises that our forefathers have made. I think there's particular reference here what we find in Exodus 20 through 23. And he calls them then 
to make a covenant. Verse 3, the king stood by a pillar and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all their heart and with all their soul to perform the words of this covenant that were written in this book. And all the people stood to the covenant. This is, this is like a little 11th hour token of mercy. They can't change what's going to take place. They can't change what's going to happen after their generation. And I can't determine what will happen in the generation of those to come after me. I, I, neither can you. We can only deal with what we're faced with now. And that's what Josiah did. He dealt with what was before him. And I'm not going to go through all of the things that he did, the commitment that he shows here. I'll, I'll just mention some of the things. If you look at verse 4, he destroyed all that was used in the worship of Baal and that was in the house of God. Verse 5, he got rid of all the idolatrous priests that burned incense to Baal. Verse 6, he burned the grove. That's the idolatrous worship pole that was in God's house. Verse 7, he destroyed the homes of the Sodomites living near the house of God. Verse 19, he extended his reform even to Samaria. Verse 24, he gets rid of all the false spiritualists. They're all removed. And, of course, it's not enough to remove all the bad. He has to bring in the good. Verse 21, we'll read this verse. Verse 21 tells us, The king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover unto the Lord your God, as it is written in the book of this covenant. That is, replace it with the right worship of God. And what was the Passover but a reminder of God's mercy, of the way of salvation? It was perhaps the most mighty feast in terms of communicating the way of salvation that God ever gave to his people. And Josiah, what does Josiah do? He, he influences his generation to get their eyes off the false, to look on the true to behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. That's what Josiah did. And that's all we can do. We can't do everything he did, but, but we can, we can one by one influence people to look away from everything else and to behold the Lamb of God, to get them to Christ, to encourage them to seek the Lord while he may be found. And it's the case for all of us. If we, if, we just, if we just purpose in our hearts, if we, if we say to ourselves that I'm going to begin to pray about what God can do through me to establish one thing, to influence in one way, that is that men would seek the Lord. Josiah's legacy is given in verse 25 of chapter 23. What a testimony. Chapter 23, verse 25. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. What a testimony. 
You know, a testimony like that requires, it requires you, it requires you to not take, to not take your example from the world and just fall into line and be like everyone else who's half-hearted in the Christian life. You can't get a testimony like this if you're just like everyone else who's making the Christian life as easy as possible. The only way you get a testimony like this is if you say, no, I am taking my cue from God. I am going to give myself to his word. I'm going to do strange things, really weird things. All the things that other people do with their time, all the other things that they're engaged in, all those things that are nor- have become normal in terms of life in my generation, I am going to set it aside. If you do what everyone else does, you'll be as everyone else is. And when finally there will be men and women like Josiah, they will always be those who do not take their cue from the average. They will be like that young woman. And I make mention of her, and I, hope, I don't know if she listens. I have no idea, and I hope it doesn't go to her head. That God will keep her humble. Keep her humble. Lord, keep her humble. But it requires that kind of resolve. There are over a thousand people in the church. But no one wants to pray. There's no move to prayer. There's no action to pray. There's no motivation. There's no encouragement. There's no call to pray. But I will. I will. Maybe one or two will come with me. That's Josiah. That's Josiah. That's the same thing. It's when you say, I'm not taking my cue from the average, half-hearted, professing believer. Like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. He takes it all. He takes it all. He says, yes, this, this is my meat and my drink. This, this book, this book of God. This, every word is pure. Every word. This is what I need. Thirty-nine. That's how long he lived. Thirty-nine years of age. Part of that was a mercy. Sparing him from seeing the judgment caused by the sins of Manasseh. But thirty-nine. I turned thirty-nine the end of this year. It's so close. Let's seek the Lord. Let's pray.
Young person, boys and girls, have you sought the Lord? Have you? In the eighth year of his reign, he began to seek after God. Sixteen. When are you going to seek God? When? How long must you delay? What are you waiting for? What are you doing with your life? Make it count, young person. Make it count. Lord, please give grace. Give grace to hear this word. There are young people in this church and they have far more gift than many of us older They have alert and fertile minds. They have strength and health. God, I pray that they would, I pray that they would be enabled this night to take the first step of surrendering, surrendering their lives. Maybe some need to be saved. God save them, please. Make them not another another story of potential gone to waste, destroyed by sin and foolishness. Oh, the misery of sin. Please, dear God, step in now. Step in early. Call them unto thyself. Be with us then, Lord, in our conversation before we go home, in our fellowship here and downstairs. Make us to encourage each other and maybe some would have opportunity to talk with the young people. Maybe the young people themselves would speak of these things. God, move in some of their hearts. Teach them to seek the face of our God. May there be children here and young people that initiate their own prayer meetings call upon God with all their hearts. Oh, wind of God, come bend us, break us, till humbly we confess our need. Show us mercy, Lord, in these difficult days. Bless the food provided 
And may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with all thy blood-bought people, now and evermore. Amen.